0: these thoughts and then he's too afraid to tell her that he likes her he literally mm-hmm. raises a city to the ground basically and has all these conversations and like he didn't give a shit about Jan Van Ack either way until she was like he almost broke my leg or shattered my leg and then he was like, <laughs> he was like I'll dismantle him and I'm <laughs> like so you'll do that and you're having all of these little thoughts in your head and you won't tell the girl you like her
1: men will literally buy a warship for a girl before they tell <laughs> before they tell her how they feel about her <laughs> Welcome to Mortified, The Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations, all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron.
0: And I'm an aspiring criminal.
1: And this week, we revisit our favorite gang of teenage edgelords as we discuss Crooked Kingdom. Before we gamble our fortunes on sugar futures and the success of a ragtag group of Molgoths, remember you can help us on Mortify the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter at MortifiedPod. Layla, you have recently, I mean, listen, the new Shadow and Bone series is on Netflix. Uh, We had, you introduced me to this franchise 11 months ago. Uh, it's kind of the perfect time to talk about Crooked Kingdom, uh, and my understanding is you're very excited.
0: I'm, I'm jazzed. Um, I don't know if we're gonna make an episode about Shadow and Bone, the, the Netflix series, but it's, I like, one of my new favorite things of all time. It fucks irrevocably, and, uh, it has kind of rekindled my love- for uh these books which is very exciting
1: yes um so if you have been with us for a long time you'll know that actually like our 10th episode was reading six of crows which was the i want to say 2013 uh 2014 uh book by in in this duology um is it that old oh yeah oh, cricket wow. kingdom cricket kingdom came out in 2016 so wow, okay. six of crows maybe 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 it was 2015 um but yeah, no, um, these books have been out a while, so, uh, you know, we're gonna spoil them, but, uh, when, when we did do our Six of Crows episode, I was re-listening to it to prepare for this, and I, I realized that I personally came at it, like, kind of hard, and uh, made some very ungenerous and, you know, not, not very good criticisms of the book. I def- definitely didn't come across how much I actually liked it, and I... I do feel quite bad about that. Um, you know, I, I talked to this over with Layla and I was like, Layla, I made, I said some shit uh, about, about six of crows. And I'm very sorry for that. you like, uh, listen, there, there are some criticisms. I think there is a little bit of exoticization in that book. And, you know, I do think that that you know, you, you can have a read where some of the kids play into stereotypes, but I think that's, that's a very ungenerous take. And, I am very sorry for that and we're we're gonna try to fix it by talking about how much we like Crooked Kingdom uh but I just wanted to you know get that out there sorry Miss Bardugo you we we do like your books very much and you know I listen it was the week before my wedding it was days before my wedding when we recorded that uh which had been like largely cancelled due to COVID so I was not in a particularly generous mood uh at that time so I you know eh, it was it wasn't a good take and I'm sorry about that
0: Yeah, I was re-listening to the episode for uh, when we compiled our best of a couple of weeks ago, and I would also like to apologize. Um, I was also very stressed. I was fresh off of my asthma diagnosis and some other stuff was happening, and I also said some very ungenerous things that did not at all constitute how much i love these stupid books and i say stupid with all the fondness in my heart they're not they're great they're great books but the children are dumb and i think we can all i think we can all agree that they don't all make great decisions and that's what makes it a good book you know it's a fun story it's fun to fun to follow along with and uh yeah miss bardugo fantastic fucking job and i'm so sorry We were crotchety and a little unkind, but we're about to fix it. We're about to convert some people into the good, good gospel of Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom. Can't speak to the verse books because I haven't read them yet, but Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom. Here we go. Aaron, what is this book about?
1: So Six of Crows ends with... um... The, the, this, the titular Six of Crows is a gang of, you know, as we described, teenage edgelords that are also, like, incredible master criminals, uh, and they, they had just completed this heist. They they kidnapped this guy who knows the secret of this drug uh, out of this very heavily defended ice court, and the guy who hired them, uh, John Von Eck, uh, betrays them and kidnaps Inej, the Wraith, who is, like, their rogue, the, the Suli girl— um who who is great and you know he's using her as leverage to get get kaz and the rest of the gang to turn over this guy that that he kidnapped because um you know he he betrayed them and basically it follows how they get out of that and try to not only get the money that they were promised but also solve international crisis prevent a war and get back at the people who have wronged them and it it's pretty darn good i will say (laughs)
0: Yeah, there's uh, uh, a lot of pressure on these teens' backs to avoid some national and international conflicts, uh, which is a lot to deal with, admittedly. It's a lot. It's a lot to deal with.
1: It really is. Shall we do a quick recap of characters?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I feel like the notes I made are about all I have to say about them.
1: Yeah. Um, so we have our gang leader, Kaz Brecker. Um, we described him... Uh, in between uh let's see it go does it go sasuke kaz no sasuke is the the final one Sasuke's it goes
0: like the 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 like giga evolution the
1: the digi yeah um, yeah the digivolve um version no it goes it goes robin kaz and then sasuke in in the edgy evolution zone
0: you're missing
1: artemis fowl oh, okay artemis fowl is the baby pokemon if you're yeah. using the pokemon scale uh <laughs> artemis fowl hatches into a, a robin who um evolves into a kazbreker who if you use a, a brother stone on him it turns into sasuke um, yes he, he he's very interesting though and i think this this book does a lot to show it you know that he's not just as edgy as he's trying to be um We've got Inej. We we just mentioned the um, the Suli girl who is like the the best uh, assassin slash like uh, cat burglar ever. Um, she gets she gets some some interesting moments that I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, Jesper, who is the the sharpshooter. Um, Layla has described him as gay. Bad decisions. <laughs>
0: This is true in the books and this is true in the TV show. He is gay, bad decisions.
1: Um he, he gets a lot of, of development in this book. Uh Wylan, uh, who is Jan son, uh, who is apparently a gay angel. <laughs>
0: yes, he's a gay little angel of music, and I love him.
1: He he's a sweet baby. I love him too. Um Nina, uh are, are I think probably still my favorite, um, who who had just gone through a big drug withdrawal um and that that's an interesting uh line line in this book um but she she's a grisha which means she has magic powers um she was a heart render specifically which means she controls like people's bodies and stuff um matthias who um is from the from the basically like the german slash nord zone um and he he's like uh like a big big idiot who is lovable um according to nina we'll talk about We'll talk about our feelings on Matthias. I actually did. I actually came around on him during my read, (laughs) which will probably not, not my co-host probably is not going to like that. But um.
0: no, I I respect your feelings about Matthias. I just also have feelings about Matthias, and they're all negative.
1: I don't think that's necessarily unfair. Matthias has, in the first book, I think that we were still pretty spot on because he sucked in the first book so bad, just being like, like basically a white supremacist, which is really funny. Um, but there, there might be something we can talk about there. Um, and then we just have some other uh, characters. We have Kuwei, who is the Shu, which is basically like China. Um, he's like this. He's the son of the person who invented this, this super drug Judah Parham. Uh, We have John Van Eck, who's the bad guy. Uh, Wyland's dad and we have Pekka Rollins who is the reason that Kaz Kaz's older brother is dead and the whole reason that Kaz is like on this you know quest for uh to be uh, Ketterdam's next top edgelord
0: he's he's uh, uh Pekka Rollins is Kaz Brecker's villain uh, origin story
1: exactly um yeah so Layla did anything in particular stand out to you like when you were just revisiting it
0: yeah, a couple of things. One, uh, Miss Bardugo, sometimes uh, you say things and they break my heart. Uh, there's There are a couple of lines that really got me, especially when Wylan was... Uh, there's a, a chapter where Wylan kind of gives his backstory um, of, like, how he came to be the quote-unquote quote runaway prince. Um, and, I mean, fuck it, we said we were going to spoil this book. I, I don't know why I'm, like, trying to obfuscate... Uh, but basically, uh, Jan Vanek, Wylan's Weiland's dad, uh, because Weiland can't read. He has a learning disability and he, he can't read. He said he was sending him away to music school and instead tried to have him killed on the way to music school. And the entire time, Weiland, as he's like kind of having this flashback and going back through this story, he was basically saying his father was justified, right? He was like, well, I'm the useless son. Like he was just doing what he had to do. And uh, uh, you know he, or he—he he was trying to alleviate Yamanek of the blame of not loving his son by saying, "Well, I'm defective." So like, of course, he had so much writing on me, and he tried everything. He used to love me, and now obviously because I'm broken, I—of course, he doesn't love me. And it, it like broke my heart to read that because that's like not to project my own trauma onto like a fictional character but it just, like ring rung home for me in certain aspects and uh, uh there were a lot of really great uh interactions with uh this is a Kaz Brecker Stan account a lot of great interactions with Kaz and Inez um that kind of broke my heart a little bit uh cuz Kaz doesn't know how to make a friend if one was presented to him on a silver platter saying Kaz be my friend um he he's terrible he's every time um, so those things stood out to me, and then, um, even though I did just say this is a Kaz Brecker stand account, I will say it's a lot easier for me to take him seriously on screen when I'm not in his inner monologue, which is some Joker shit, and intentionally so, um, but, I, you know, he's he is very much like an edgelord, Teen Malgoth, so sometimes I'm like, baby, you gotta, you you gotta simmer, a, just a, a titch for me, you gotta simmer, like a, like a bit. Um, so those were my kind of, I guess, re impressions after, after um reading the book. Um, how how was your first impression of it?
1: I, I really liked it. So you you in our, our when we talked about Six of Crows said that Crooked Kingdom would like kind of address some of the problems that we had with the way that c- the kids are characterized and specifically address the fact that they are children. And I think that Crooked Kingdom largely does uh, you know try to take steps to be like, hey, these are very young people with a lot of shit that's happened to them and i mean like they're still like you know basically superheroes and extremely powerful (laughs) um we'll get to the kaz last stand in a bit but um (laughs) but like there's this part because so jesper's whole thing is that like he gambled away his dad's farm uh because he has a gambling addiction (laughs) as a 16 year old which is very funny but um uh jesper's dad comes back his dad's name is colm and um there's this part right after like they've had this terrible, they, they, they one of their heists goes wrong and they're all beaten and they're all barely alive and they're all getting back together in this hotel. And, um, there's this passage that I'm going to read. Uh, it was Colm's solid presence that transformed the image in the mirror. He made the people in the reflection seem less dangerous as if they weren't the team that had broken into the ice court and bested the feared and military with little more than their wits and nerve. Only a bunch of children worn out after a particularly brutal birthday party which is really funny but also like does very much get at the fact that like they're kids and like he i mean colton literally has to break up uh jesper and kaz fighting by saying like calling jesper by his middle name and everybody's just like oh shit he called you by your middle name now you're in trouble um and well, she like
0: even stops kaz which is funny mm-hmm.
1: yeah kaz is like all right <laughs>
0: cast Dirty Hands Brecker, who's, like, unstoppable, and then all of a sudden, your friend's dad whips out his middle name, and you're like, oh, no, never. Sorry?
1: Nope, I'll, I'll, (laughs) I'll kill ten men with a couple of rusty screws, but if my friend's dad gets the middle name out, I'm out. Um... But, yeah, like, there's there's parts, like like you said, digging into the fact that, like, Weiland, Weiland's whole backstory and, like, why he's estranged. And, like, also the fact that his mom isn't actually dead, but, like, you know, committed into a sanitarium uh, against her will. Or, like, you know, there, there are flashbacks to Inej's parents and, like, the fact that she, she misses them a lot and she doesn't even know if they're still alive or if they're still looking for her. And, like, you know, there's a part where, like, I think she's talking to either nina or or matthias but like she's like i would just you know i would give anything to have the 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 choice to you know let my parents know that that you know i'm still around and like make that choice because like her whole thing is like you know she's just she was taken and forced to work in a brothel so like again it it is a lot you know we'll talk about the the ways that these, these books treat their their characters and like you know, sometimes you do have to make the stakes very high, and, and, and that's okay as long as it's, you know, being done evenly. You know, I, I don't think that we necessarily shouldn't put young people into dangerous situations. It is a YA book, but uh, it, it is a little bit much. Um, but but yeah, I do think that, like, the way that it explores their backstories and, and the reasons for them being the way they are largely do pay off and, and are good.
0: Yeah, and I mean... Um... Yeah, with regards to the, the character ages thing, I struggle with that a lot, right? Because, um, like, yeah, I think, I think that young characters could and should be subjected to these situations because that's, I mean, like, that's what, like, kids that age are interested in reading, right? They're interested in reading about themselves. They think they can handle these adult situations. So, like, of course, they're going to want to read about that. Like, it's important... For these books to appeal to their audience, for the characters to be relatable to the to the audience, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but uh, I do function on anime rules with these books, which is you add plus five to any age, like Sailor Moon's 19. Like, I just have to do that for myself, you know, to, to be able to enjoy something. Um, I, I'm not going to talk about Shadow and Bone a lot because that, that's a completely different conversation. They made a lot of changes to that narrative from what I understand. Um, but they they do make a couple of jokes about the ages because they're all aged up non-specifically. Like, no one's a teen in there. They're not even trying to play teens. Um, but there is one point where they have to fake paperwork and, uh, Jesper looks at his and he looks at Kaz and he's like, no one's going to believe I'm that old. And Kaz (laughs) is like, really? (laughs) I, well, too bad. (laughs) And uh, uh, Jasper, when he hands over the the paperwork to the official that they're trying to, like, dupe, he just, just, like, pops his collar and, like, winks at him and is like, I know, I look pretty good for my age. And the official's <laughs> like, really? Thought you look o- looked older. And it's a bit the paperwork. And I'm like, ah, we're acknowledging it. Great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, um, but, yeah, I, you know, it's, it, it, it's it's a subjective debate. So, like, we're not going to come out of here with, like, a, an answer. It's just, you know, how are we feeling about it? And I think we're feeling merr, you know? It's fine. Uh, it be what it be. We watched uh, Baby Goku go through a lot, too.
1: Yeah, I guess it's different, you know, anime versus reading it in a book, but... I, I do feel especially in our in our first episode we came dangerously close to being like, oh you shouldn't show teenagers ha- in sex scenes because that's like you know that's pornography and that and that's no good
0: okay so listen um, we already talked about this we were in a really bad mood when we recorded that but I also I also listen I have a story and that story is as such um, when I, don't give up on things. I'm stubborn. If you make me read or watch something, I will probably finish reading or watching it, even if I don't like it, because I'm stubborn. Um, And when I was a teen, I'm not going to name the books, because I'm sure they're fine, and I'm sure people get enjoyment out of them, but I did read some books. Um, They were vampire novels in the Twilight, you know, like hype and um there was a listen there was a blowjob scene and it was pretty explicit and that's fine that's fine I was a teen they were teens it's all good the thing that made me give up on this series and I think has traumatized me a little bit to like younger characters being in these situations was that and god this is gonna give away what the series was but again i'm sure it's fine it just wasn't comfortable for me um the series is written by a mother daughter pair um and so ever since that i've been a little um how to say wary um so i'm sorry that's my personal problem that i have to get over
1: yeah i mean i think that's a little bit more extreme than than what this book is going for but you know i I think that just for sure
0: drawing a comparison here (laughs) i'm just saying that i I carry that uncomfortable experience with me in my day-to-day life and it does affect some judgments i make sometimes
1: yeah yeah i'm just saying generally like we're we're adults and we're a little bit more protective of young people because you know we we're we're a little bit older now i mean we're both like 10 years older than most of these protagonists so like it, it is weird for us to be like oh wow that's a terrible situation and I wouldn't want to see a kid in that, but also like, you know, especially for a YA audience, you know, I I do feel like we have to have some grace around characters being put in dangerous situations like the scene with Inez about to have her legs shattered, really, really fucked me up. And I was like, Oh, I hate reading this. It's very tense. And I don't like seeing Inez put in this situation. But also like, I think it very much does make sense in context. And like, I don't think it was exploitative. Um, and I think it, you know, it, it does pay off because it sets up the fact that Inez is like, oh, yeah, Kaz won't trade me back if, if you break my legs. And like that sets up her conflict, which is like, oh, Kaz only cares about me as, as far as like I am useful to him. So, like, I, I think that worked out.
0: Yeah. And I think I think there's a demonstrative evolution um, of both of our takes on this topic, because there is a note in our outline that one of our favorite parts in this book is that. All of the characters are hilariously horny.
1: It's really funny, actually. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know why we were upset about that before. Um, but it is all very consensual horniness, which I think is very fun. Uh, like Matthias and and Nina are really funny because, like, you know, Ma- Nina has to dress up in all these various costumes, and Matthias like, oh my god, she's she's wearing something that makes her boobs stick out, and like, I I can't handle that. And then you know, Kaz is like. Hey, Matthias, can you quit gawking and pay attention to the lesson plan? And Nina's like, hey, be quiet. I like it when he gawks. And then there's another part where she's like, oh, why haven't you kissed me yet? And then he's like, uh, well, it's not proper. And we would have to, like, uh, talk to your parents and then have three chaperoned dates. And then I, I would have to be under the stars. And then she's like, oh, shut the fuck up. And they make out. And then she's like, oh, wow. Hey, Matthias. And then she's like, hey, wait, Matthias. And then when he's like, oh, yeah, what's going on? He looks and like the like the di- the dignitaries they're there to meet are just like, okay, that's a lot can you stop making out so you can you know prevent a war <laughs> um, yeah
0: and then uh, there's also uh, uh, just Kaz's hilarious repressed horniness which is I just, uh, I love the boy, I think he's great, but there's just moments where he's zoning out and he's just like, what if I pulled on Inezha's hair and I'm like, he will have these thoughts and then he's too afraid to tell her that he likes her. He mm-hmm. literally raises a city to the ground, basically, and has all these conversations and like, he didn't give a shit about Jan Van Ack either way until she was like, he almost broke my leg or shattered my leg. And then he was like he was like i'll dismantle him and i'm like so you'll do that and you're having all of these little thoughts in your head and you won't tell the girl you like her
1: men will literally buy a warship for a girl before they tell <laughs> before they tell her how they feel about her
0: he, he bought her a warship he found her parents there's uh one of my favorite 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 scenes in fucking fuck it all of literature Is, um, they have this, like, bathroom scene where, uh, he has to change her bandages and he has this whole thing about touching other people. He hates doing it because he has, like, these horrible memories, these traumatic memories of touching his brother's, like, bloated corpse. So he just, like, can't do it. And it's, uh, again, the tension. Chef's kiss. Um, very tense scene where he, like, is changing her bandages and she's talking to keep him grounded because he's, like, almost slipping into, like, a flashback. And, um... He kisses her neck, but it's like four pages. It's like, it's not, it's, listen, it's not, it's, it's like a peck. It's barely anything. And it's like four pages of buildup. And then he's just like, and at that moment, all of the thoughts I've ever had about her flash through my mind. And then we're gone again. I'm like, baby, just tell her you like her. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm withering here. You're so repressed. Um, and, uh, and we haven't even gotten into, uh, uh, Jesper, uh, bad decisions, Fahey. Who uh, does nothing but flirt through both books and the TV show?
1: Jasper's great. I love, I love that he ends up with Wylan and I love the fact that like they have like they're like pretty much like it's pretty guaranteed that they're going to get together by the end. Um, but like the it's very much. <laughs> like that, like very silly obstacles get in the way, like the fact that like at one point Wyland's face looks like Kue's, and Kue's like I want to make out with Jasper, so like he he pretends to be Wyland, and then and then Jasper makes out with him, and then Wyland walks in, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I was interrupting something, and then wait, Jasper's like, hey, wait, did this, sh- wait, hold on, and then Kue's like, mm, sorry, and Wyland's like, all right, you little shit, <laughs> I'm gonna enjoy shooting you later. <laughs> cool
0: Non-lethally. Non-lethally. Non-lethally, <laughs>
1: of course.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, Kuwait's a little asshole, but I love Wyland because uh, <laughs> so when he gets his cha- face changed back, um, Jesper, ADHD king, like cannot sit still. So he's just like doing anything. He's like, okay, I'm going to stick my hand in this clay. Nope, bad idea. He's just running around doing whatever the fuck he can to keep himself occupied. He comes back and he looks at Wylan and he's like, did you tell him to make you hotter? And Wylan's like,
1: no. No. I was always this hot. I slips always. the Grisha a 20. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then eventually it's like, yeah, a little. <laughs> and that, eh. that's king shit.
1: It's really good. They're... Uh... There are a lot of really great moments in this. I think the heists are, are interesting. Um, I mean, the, the rescuing Inej one, where basically, like, they do the prisoner exchange, but then also he has, like, a hundred different masked people just, like, run around and throw coins everywhere, and everyone's like,
0: yeah, this rule! Start a block party to save your girlfriend.
1: Yeah, in, no. The,
0: <laughs> the list of things Kaz Barker does to save his girlfriend grows, and yet, he, again, he cannot tell her that he likes her. It is... It is madness. It is amazing. Um, no, that, that uh, uh, like, party scene with the masks, I knew pretty early on, I think, in my life. You know how, like, if you're a kid, um, even like, you, no one tells you what you can and can't do, really, like, with your life. So you, you, I don't know, kind of figure out your career path pretty early on, and then you either stray from it or, or you know, maybe come back to it. You know, maybe you find something adjacent. But uh, for me, like, I knew pretty early on when I was a kid that I wanted to do something in the arts because I was always really good at, like, picturing things that were happening in books, like, really cinematically. Like, there's a shot progression generally when I when I read through things, and sometimes I'll have to, like, reread them because I'm like, no, 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 wait, that over-the-shoulder shouldn't go there. So if, if this is happening later, we should swap that and, you know, cross the 180 or whatever. Uh, I'm, I've always been a dweeb. Erin uh, is laughing at me. So... Uh, that scene is so cinematic to me. Like, I hope that the the later seasons of Shadow and Bone, like, get into this plot line with, with Jan Van Eck and, and Pekka Rollins, because I would love to see this shit on screen. The colors, the gold coins, everyone's laughing and dancing, and then there's... Like, it's just so cool to me. That, and then there's another, I think at the end of Six of Crows, um, when Inej is... Um, when she's like climbing that that uh, um, incinerator vent, I think uh, there's just I don't know the stuff like that really really thrills me. I think that sometimes there's just like a really great rhythm to these scenes, and and that uh, in this book, it's it's uh, that scene, the rescue of Inej and the bathroom scene, and Kaz taking a fucking beating at the slat. Those are like my three favorite scenes that are they're just so cinematic and so cool, and I love them and want to draw them when I have the time.
1: I think the using cinematic as as a framing is very useful because like there's a part where like all the gangs are deputized by the cops and they're like, you know, they're all given the go ahead to hunt down the, the gang, the six. Um, and like, I, it reminded me so much of like the the scene in I think John Wick Two where like all the bad guys get like a text message. All the assassins are like, "Hey John Wick, you know if you kill John Wick, you get like like ten million dollars or whatever." And like everybody just like looks at their phone and then like looks up at John Wick and like I just I think that would be so cool. I just I love the way that she described like all the gangs like uniting and like like hunting them down, including like their own gang the 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 Crow Gang. And then it was just like, oh shit, um, it's it's really good um another really good scene that i thought was um when Inez is like going on these sugar silos to like she has like this chemical that's going to destroy all all of uh van x sugar and like use that to to frame him in, in like a conspiracy basically and then like she gets through the third silo and then like fucking this this lady called dunyasha shows up and she's like a like an uber ninja um and I was just like, ah, oh, yeah, I love when a battle angel shows up and starts to kick my ass on a high wire. Like, I thought that scene was so fun. And, and like Dunyasha, you know, R.I.P. I love a battle angel. I love somebody who rolls up and thinks they're the protagonist and then immediately gets their ass whooped. It's so good. I, I love, you know, I'm sorry Dunyasha is gone because I think she would have made a great recurring villain. Just like, I have the blood of kings in my veins. And, you know, just like, all right, well, I'm going to splatter the blood of kings all over the floor.
0: Yeah, Dinesh is fun because uh, uh, Ine- Inesh was about to get her ass whooped by her the second time. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, th- like, sometimes these books are just so funny because she's sitting there and, you know, as she's, she's kind of getting her ass handed to her and it just goes, wait a minute. I have the home field advantage. I know where I am. And I know that if I move three inches to the fucking left, splat, splat, blood of kings. Mm-hmm. And that's all she does. And she's like, Well, (laughs) alright. Scoots to the right and like Dunyasha falls and dies. So, um It's really funny. Only the strongest survive, baby.
1: Oh, it's it's so good. Um there are just there are just so many great scenes in this. Um let's uh... I want. I don't. I'm torn about talking about the the end. Let's talk about how Kaz gets out of this because that's that's such a good scene that really made me like turn on his character. I was like, he is he is edgy, but like he does like you know he he is like a superhuman and like he he earns his whole you know edge lord. Like reputation in this scene, where okay, so we, we just described all the gangs are dif- are like united against them and trying to to hunt them down, including their own gang that they're sponsored by. And what Kaz does is he rolls up to that gang's headquarters. And he's like, no, I'm actually taking over. Um, because you're the guy who currently runs it, all his success is owed to me. Uh, and if you think you're wrong, you can fucking fight me. I'm 17 years old, and I use a cane, and I will beat you all to death with it. And he proceeds to do that, which is which is great.
0: Yeah. Uh. Uh. My f- my favorite threats against Kaz are always uh anybody else saying they'll beat him to death with his own cane, and it happens all the time. And it feels like every time that villain thinks they're the first one to think of it. And it's, you know, Kaz is just like, fucking try me, I guess. My favorite part of that scene, again, very cinematic, love that shit. Um, my favorite part of that scene is that he tells Nash not to follow him in like the grim, darkiest, like edgelord way possible. He's just like, if you ever cared about me at all, don't follow me. And she follows him anyway, because he's like, you're such a little bitch. I know <laughs> your every move. And she follows him, and he knows she followed him. So I'm like, what? What is the point of you? Cause he they make so useless they make eye contact and he like shakes his head at her uh to to tell her like hey don't don't come help me um while he's getting his ass whooped um and then he gets back and like makes this cool super villain speech, and I'm like, this is Fucking funny because Inez, the whole scene is is from Inez's point of view, and she's kind of commentating the whole thing. And Kaz gets up and he's like, "Listen, you're not going to get a pat on the back from me. I'm not going to call you son." And Inez in her head goes, "Yeah, he is really, really bad at making friends. Like, <laughs> like really bad at it.
1: He's not yeah. lying. <laughs> you're he's... not going to feel good about be working for him, but he no. is very effective."
0: Which, one of my favorite parts of this book is that every single person of this band of six has developed an inner Kaz. And it is a version of Kaz that they have in their heads that bullies them. (laughs) He's not actually that mean. He's mean. He's rude. I would say he's rude. But he's not that, like... Like, like Wyland's whole thing was, like, um... He he. Uh, oh oh oh. He he took his flute to see his mother's grave when he found out that his mom wasn't dead. And by one of my favorite lines in the whole book is like, oh, I was gonna play my flute at her grave like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's like uh, he pictures like Kaz uh, 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 like hearing about that and he's like oh, he would laugh at my face and I'm like he he wouldn't most mostly because he doesn't laugh ever once
1: <laughs> it's not uh, really his style
0: it's not his thing um but he's developed this like inner cows bully to like cool him down in these situations and so has jesper and Nej. also and it's just it's so funny it's a funny thing to do to make up a version of your friend in your head to bully you out of hard things
1: because we've all done that, right? We've all had, like, that made-up fight in the shower where we get a good comeback. Except for everyone else, it's like, oh, this is what Kaz Brecker would say to me in this situation. And you know what? He's right. God damn it.
0: Except for uh, 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 my beautiful gay Esther Jesper, who every time Inej does something... Everyone's looking at it as, and he's just looking at Kaz. He's like, I know you're fucking secret bitch boy. <laughs> like, you gotta tell her someday. And he just watches him be, like, weird and tense and emo. It's very good. It makes—oh, God, great. Amazing. Ten. Ten out of ten.
1: Um, one thing I really did appreciate is that, like, everybody did get—not only their, their, their spotlight time and, like, interactions where we, where we do get to see relationships between them, but, like, I do feel like everyone except for Nina got a very satisfying character arc— Uh, I mean, like, Kaz, I mean, they win, they, they, Kaz gets revenge on his, um, like, Pekka Rollins, who is his long, his arch nemesis for forever by pretending to bury his son alive and making him believe that, which is really funny. (laughs) Um, you know, Inez gets a warship to go hunt down, um, you know, slavers. Matthias, okay. Oh, here we go. I can't believe this is me fucking putting on my armor, uh, and- getting Here ready to become the fucking matthias defense force but
0: mm, okay sell me sell me on matthias Do it. matthias
1: largely sucks right his whole thing is like i'm very stupid and i love nina and i also you know i'm still iffy about the fact that she can use magic but i think the book very much does explain the fact that like he, he is grappling with that he's like no i've been indoctrinated and like that it comes all the way around in the end when he is killed by a fellow Druskel, which is, like, you know, his cool wolf SS uh, former unit that he was in. Um, and, like, he—but he, his whole his whole arc is, like, Nina's great, and, like, I'm friends with all these great people, and even Jesper's uh, uh, a Grisha, and he's saved my ass a dozen times— and, like, I think I was just lied to for the purposes of, um, you know, building an empire. And, like, he is also, like, painfully just, like, oh, the the, the thing when he loves he, his favorite outfit that Nina wears is when she's wearing, like, a traditional fjordan outfit, which is, like, like a fucking, you know mormon ass skirt and like a sweater vest and he's like you look so cute and and wholesome and (laughs) it's just ridiculous and she's like i fucking hate this outfit but i'll wear it if you like it you idiot um and like uh I do, I, I do think Matthias like comes around. It's like, you know, I, I do actually like all these people and like, I need to work on my own thing. And like, he does do a thing which I, which makes sense narratively. But I think also is just like, Nina, you got to get better boyfriends, which is that when he dies, he makes Nina promise that she will help de-radicalize the Dreskel, which is like, I don't know that that's Nina's job, bro. I mean, they do their whole thing is that they want to kill people like her. So I don't, I don't know about that chief. Um, But, like, I did think that Matthias' character arc was was pretty good.
0: I think I would have liked Matthias better if he was starting to understand that something was wrong on his own before he met Nina. You know? Because it just... It just... He's mean, and he doesn't want to hang out with the group, and he's... I just don't it's not you know it's like you said it's not her job to fix him and then she tries so hard and in the end it doesn't even matter like oof. I just oh he's just so I don't even know how to how to like express my frustration with Matthias as a character I I think I'm just tired of the like in life in general I think I'm just tired of the whole like it's the oppressed job to make the oppressor like them thing. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just tired of that. Just just made being to me feel like it's my responsibility to get people to like me and people like me for whatever. You know, pick pick a marginalization. Like what do you what do you want to, you know, what do you want me to to represent today? Um so I think that sets me against him initially and then he's just like a t- I, I just want him to, to get places earlier, you know? If he if he maybe, like, came into the scene with a little more doubt in his heart about his indoctrination, you know? Maybe he was witness to something. Maybe something happened. Maybe, you know, and, and that's why he was so, like, susceptible to Nina. Maybe if he was just, like, a little nicer to the, even to the just, like, non Grisha members of the team like two chapters earlier, I think I would like him better. But he's obstinate. And Nina is too hot and too funny and too good. She deserves an apex boyfriend. And I just don't think, I think, I think Matthias is like at best B tier, you know?
1: Listen, I I don't disagree with, with a lot of that. I mean, I think that Nina definitely deserves better. But, like, you know, again, this book came out in 2016. Like, we, I, I mean, when I say we, I mean white American culture, um, has not had not really grappled with problems of radicalization yet because this was, you know, pre Charlottesville and people were like, you know, Donald Trump's not gonna win the presidency. Uh, um, and I think that Lee probably would, would, you know, not make that character choice now. But regardless, I do think it, it is you know it's not a perfect character choice and i think that your criticisms are valid but i i do kind of like the fact that you know that, that it is somebody who is like wholly radicalized against a marginalization who who whose final act is like hey help other people like me um i do wish it hadn't been nina to save him uh, from that radicalization i do wish that it hadn't been him asking nina to to help other people because that puts a lot of you know a lot of pressure on her but um, I, I think it's, it's a pretty good character arc overall, um, but I, I understand your criticisms and they're fair.
0: I will, I will give Matthias one, I will, I will concede one point. And I will concede that there is a line where he catches himself thinking some dumb shit and then uh, has to like stop and be like, no, it's not the person using the thing. It's the thing that I'm scared of. And then he has to take another second and go, wow, this whole process is going to be a lifelong journey, just like Nina getting over the parem. And I was like, see, had you gotten here five chapters earlier, I would maybe like you better. But it's just, it just, he takes too long to get places. And I, you know, I... Ain't here i think the other thing is uh, it's like not helping him in this context for me is that everyone else is kind of a party animal and he's always a party pooper and i just want him to join in on the party <laughs> It's just me and Nina are just trying to to like psychically enable him to have like a touch of fun, and he won't. And so he's just always this downer voice in like really fun scenes. And I'm like, please, Matthias, just be fun for like ten seconds for me, please.
1: And he has. Here's isn't. the here's the thing is that I used to be somebody who you know didn't drink. I didn't drink until I turned twenty one. So like I was I you know i used to be that kind of not necessarily i didn't want i didn't not want other people to have fun but i do get being the only person who's like oh everyone else is having fun except for me and i feel like i can't because of the way that i am um so you know i do get that but that's that's yeah. fair
0: listen i respect i respect your thoughtful wonderful defense of matthias i think your defense of him is thought out way more deeply than my, like, guttural dislike of him, which, again, mostly stems from the fact that Nina deserves better. Uh, Listen,
1: no no, no one's (laughs) arguing that Nina should not be in this book. She should be in fucking, um, God, what's the, what's, um, the Dave Abad trilogy? (laughs) Um, Oh,
0: yeah. Nina should be raking in hotties left and right. I love her so fucking much. She's so funny. I love her friendship with Inej more than... I, I don't know everything I own it's just there when, like when Inej gets back to the tomb and they're all just you know sitting there like trying to plan their way out of this like hot mess they've gotten themselves in and Nina's like baby come here you look thin I got cookies
1: and she <laughs> yeah, really puts I mean...
0: her puts her <laughs> arm around her I'm like this is and, you know, uh, 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 Nina's, like, trying to stand up to Kaz, and she's like, no, I'm not doing this unless you help all the other Grisha, and Kaz is like, no, and then Inez is like, then I'm not doing it till you help the other Grisha, and Kaz has to be like, fine!
1: <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're, their friendship is great throughout this entire book, and I, I do love the little moments of them just, like, hanging out and being cute together. Um, they, they rule.
0: They do. They do rule. And you know, it's it's just it I think my, my dislike of him sixty percent stems from that and then forty percent everything else I said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> listen, listen, you're you're not wrong. Um one thing one thing I did wanna get your thoughts on, uh were so this happens a lot in heist media in general, which is that like the narrators lie to you, like and you know unreliable narrators are a thing but in in this instance it's like it's it's very much like so they're like at the end of one chapter and it's just like okay and now kuwei has to die um and it's like but like not really but like she does that that's not how the that's not explained until, like, the next chapter. Or, like, Wylan, you know, Wylan is fake captured, and then, like, at the end of the chapter, it's, like, in the end, he gave he gave up their plan, but, like, that was also part of the plan. Or, like, the Council of Tides, you know, being a bunch of Grisha. Like, at that point, I was like, oh, those aren't—that's not the real Council of Tides. Like, I—this is a scam, too, because everything is a scam within a scam. And, like, um— I'm wondering how you feel about that, because like in in some instances, right, like that is important and it builds tension. It's like, oh, it's going to keep you in suspense. But in in other instances, like when I when I listen to Friends at the Table, um, Austin Walker is very keen on like having the audience be in on the joke and like know, you know, what's going on. And I'm wondering how you think that that works narratively and like whether you think it's it's better or in what situations it's good to just be like, no, I'm going to let the audience in on the joke um, so that way they know what's happening and like do you think it's better to build tension that way or just to be like I'm gonna give them misinformation and, and see how that that adds to the narrative
0: I think it depends on the context I think it works fine here because this is a YA novel right and it's full of what I like to call surprised Pikachu moments because it's exactly like the face that moment wants you to make like Wylan has to die <gasps> you know and it's it's I think it achieves its desired effect, because even knowing the plot of the book, sometimes, like, when Wyland gave up the plan, I was like, wait, what? I don't remember the shit. Um, so, I think, I don't know, I think it's fun. Um, and, because, uh, so, my, the unreliable narrator I'm, like, most familiar with, to no one's surprise, is uh, Varric from Dragon Age 2, because Dragon Age 2 is, is framed from Varric's point of view as he like tells the story and the popular I guess interpretation within the fandom is that he's an unreliable narrator mostly for the part where the game was like really rushed and so everyone's like yeah the dungeons are just all the same because Varric's bad at describing shit which I'm fully bought into I think that's hilarious it didn't really bother me the dungeons are all the same so um in that context I don't know. I think I think with stuff like that, it just never gets played up enough for it to like have an effect on me. Like I usually just take it and then once the actual truth is revealed, it just, you know, it surprise Pikachu all over again. It's like I'm I'm really bad at like guessing twists and stuff. I don't know. It just I I think it's fun. I think it's fine. Um it's entertaining. If it works, it works. Um I I have no real like do you have any – like? because, I mean, you brought it up. Do you have any, like, specific feelings about it in this in this context or is there, like – I don't know. Have you ever – have you ever been caught, like, truly off guard? Have you ever seen it used, like, memorably well or memorably poorly, I
1: guess? I mean, I, I don't have any specific instances where it, like, was like, oh, that that's – you know, I wish they had just, like, you know, told us the truth. Like, I think in heist movies, like, it is important to, like, not give all the details – um, or like, in some instances, just be like, okay, yeah, and then this thing is going to happen. And, and, and in this book, like, you know, I think they may maybe could have done it better, right? Like, I, I think it could have been like, you know, in, instead of saying like, you know, uh, Kuwe has t- had to be has to die, it could have been like, you know, Inesh had to make sure that, um, you know, jesper had hadqaA in his sights or something like something that didn't frame it like deliberately as misinformation because like you know like wyland like when they say that wyland gives them up like I think that's fine because like technically he does but also that's part of the plan um like i I think there is there's a fine line to be like i I feel like you shouldn't unless it's established that your narrator is unreliable or like that's the point I feel like you should you should try to stray like you know, into the realm of giving little or scant details to create an impression, but not straight up saying like, oh, and then this thing's going to happen. But actually, it's, you know, part of the the whole plan. But I do think it is important, especially, you know, it's a YA book, so I shouldn't get too, you know, caught up in the, the mechanics of it. But like, it does create tension in, in like heist things when you don't have all the information. Um, but I do also think that like when I cite Friends at the Table, right, there, there's an interesting tension at – being like okay everyone knows what's going to happen but the characters don't and like we, because of the the tabletop nature the collaborative nature of friends at the table and that's really what the way I'm framing this is is in terms of like when you're running a tabletop game I think it's interesting to to frame the tension between like, okay, we as the, you know, characters or the, the players and narrators of the story know what's going on here, but our characters don't. And how can we play with that tension to be like, okay, I think this is actually what happens because that makes it more interesting later on for the character when that information is revealed to them. Um, so I, I, you know, I think it, it, like with all things, it depends, which is kind of a cop-out answer. But, uh, you know, I, I just thought it was something worth bringing up that like, I think it it largely works well in this story, but I think we should be careful to not, to not, you know, mislead our audience and then be like, ah, surprise. It was this thing because then we get into the Shyamalan twist and, you know, we don't want like, we don't love that.
0: Yeah. I mean, okay. So I, I don't read a lot of heist books I've seen. I honestly don't really watch a lot of heist movies. Um, my favorite being Ocean's eight, because Sandra Bullock giving eight. that fucking mirror speech is everything to me. It's so good. Do it, do it for that little girl who wants to be a criminal. It's, it's just so like good. Um, so to me, I don't really like. I I I I'm not super familiar with like the the typical narrative structure of a heist or how you could invert that or how you can like play up on it, especially in literature. I think the thing that I'll say. Uh, took some of the tension out of the, the the novel for me was something adjacent to what you're trying to get at, which is sometimes Kaz will go do things and then do, like, a lore dump, you know? Like, he would go, and then he's like, well, I already did X, Y, and Z, and then the rest of the team has to, like, catch up with the reader. I think I would have liked to see him doing those things in, in kind of, like, non-sequitur than not knowing the context. You know, I feel like there would have been more tension for me to, like, have Kaz be operating on his own, and I think it would be a better complement to the fact that no one trusts him because with him doing stuff off screen, off screen, off the page, uh, and then coming back and giving a lore dump and then only doing trustworthy things, all that dramatic tension with characters not trusting him isn't as impactful, as I think, as it could be. If he wasn't just, like, sometimes randomly caught doing shit that didn't make sense. Um, which I think is adjacent to the the point we're talking about with, like, misleading the audience almost um, on purpose to create tension. I think that a little bit more of the misleading could have been happening within the context of the narrative with characters doing stuff instead of, like you said... Pointing the opposite and uh, pointing the audience in the opposite direction. Um, I, again, that being said, it, it didn't super bother me because uh, again, it's a YA, very like melodramatic novel. Um, there's a lot of melodrama, so I think within the context of the story, it like makes sense to me that you know, and as like. And then he has to die. And then in the next chapter, Jesper's like, oh, God, I got to shoot this kid but not kill him. Like, <laughs> I'm stressed. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it depends on, like, what kind of payoff you you want. And I think going back to the, to the way we opened this podcast, which was kind of, like, apologizing for, for our criticisms from the, from the last book, I think in the years since, especially, like, following more authors on Twitter and, like, getting a peek behind the, the curtain, so to speak – at, at the process, I think Arf um, Kwong talks about this all the time. But there's a lot of authors who, like, grow up on the page, um, and uh, you know, as creators ourselves, who who kind of like have our own narratives we're working on. Um, sometimes a project is a space to play with us something, and it feels like this was something Lee Bardugo was playing with um, as like a as a dramatic tool whether or not it worked obviously is subjective but um you know it <sighs> you try it you know that's the i guess that's the lesson here is she tried it it worked more for me than for you it seems like um but that's fine and because it fits within the context of this like incredibly melodramatic novel would it have fit in the context of something like the fucking poppy war probably not you know no, i think we'd be yeah. like oh but within the context of a bunch of Molgoths trying to stop a war I think it was fine you know what I mean
1: yeah no I don't want to give the impression that I didn't like it I just thought it was interesting to note the the ways in which that she builds tension but yeah honestly it, it's a really good book you should if you're interested at all in you know YA or, or heists or you know just fun characters uh, definitely check out six of crows and Crooked Kingdom uh, Layla, do you have anything else that you wanted to touch on?
0: Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I think, I think this is a pretty solid review of, of a very fun, very delightful book full of fun hijinks and cool teens. Um, and I'm thrilled for having read it, especially because I did, again, just watch Shadow and Bone and it does have like an older take on these characters and it inserts them. I don't think they're in the Shadow and Bone novels. I'm not sure. Like I couldn't. I don't think so. But uh, they they get inserted into the Shadow and Bone story, and again they're like aged up, and it's a much more serious take on this um, series. And it's delightful fun, but it was fun to like come back and and see the origins, and you know, especially in a <laughs> in a better mood.
1: Yeah, um, definitely,
0: and, and more receptive to to the hijinks and such. Um, yeah, so Aaron where can we find you on the internet uh
1: you can find me on the internet at aaron sxl uh where i tweet about um the fact that uh indiana's healthcare policy is still a disaster uh you can also listen to the other podcast i do at the bible boys we just released an episode about yes god yes the natalia dyer the natalia dyer movie uh masturbation comedy is what it was called and um Next week, we'll be watching uh, Silence, which is a movie about um, missionaries to Japan, I think, which will be very interesting. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Layla, where can people find you on the internet?
0: I'm at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Um, You can follow me for me returning to work on my webcomic, which is about overcoming loneliness and family trauma. It's a fantasy romance, so come talk to me about it. It's a good time uh yeah that's <laughs> i forgot how i am my plug that's me
1: uh our theme song is obsolete by keshko from the album filmmakers reference kit volume two find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com
0: Aaron, what do we say when we convene our group of teams to do our hijinks
1: no mourners. no, no funerals. funerals oh i'm gonna miss these kids